Welcome to Figuring Out Families by Magellan Media, where we help make families the best they can be. We're pleased to be joined by marriage counsellor and family expert Derek Boylan for what we are calling the Focus Sessions, aimed at helping families with relationship issues. Together with Derek, over a number of these sessions, we will explore the most pressing issues facing families today. We hope you enjoy and find this series valuable. Welcome back, Derek. Uh, we covered communications in the past two focus sec- sessions, which went really well. Uh, it was also terrific having your children on board, Caleb, Jordan, and Zachariah. Uh, how did they find the experience? Hopefully, we didn't uh, uh, frighten them too much. No, they had a, a great time. Thanks, David. They really enjoyed it. It was. Uh, I gave them a little bit of a heads up beforehand that we'd invite them in, and uh, and they really had a great time. We had some very interesting lunchtime conversation afterwards, but uh, but it certainly was a good experience that they enjoyed. So thank you. Well, good to hear. Now, this session, we move from communications to love maps, which many people may not have heard of. I certainly haven't. Um, perhaps you could explain what love maps is all about. Yeah, this is a really interesting sort of new development in the area of neuroscience. And, uh, and certainly a researcher who's spoken a lot about it in his work is a man named Daniel Segal. And he's done a lot of work with uh, with children, teenagers, uh, families. And I guess th- what he realized is that in all of our relationships, whether it's, uh, um, you know, work relationships, next door neighbors, friends, siblings, uh, couple relationships, is that what we do as, as people is we form internal maps of what other people's brains must look like in their world. So I guess when we think about it, you know, the people in our lives, we can't know what they really think. We can't be inside of their their heads and their minds. Those things are, are a black box. We can't see inside of it. However, as a relationship starts to develop with someone, we begin to create a map inside of our minds about what we think it must look like inside of their mind, right? So, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And, um and then that map that we use, that we create in our mind about what we think it must look like inside their mind is what we use to navigate the relationship, you know. It's what we use to sort of determine whether we think it's safe to have certain conversations and not other conversations about what we think this person might be interested in and what their likes and dislikes might be and how to raise certain kinds of conversations. And John Gottman in his research really coined the term love maps that actually – um, that these are very, very important. These maps that we create inside of our mind are very important, particularly for how we navigate love relationships. So that doesn't necessarily mean couples, but any loving relationship. So between a, a parent and a child or between siblings. And uh, and in his research, what he found is that the couples and the families that tend to have the best, strongest, most fulfilling relationships, so the really healthy families, they also happen to have very detailed love maps. Like their understanding of what it must be like inside of the minds of other people in their relationships and families is usually actually very accurate. And right. so what they've found is that by having these detailed love maps, this helps us to navigate family life and navigate family relationships with the, the people that we care about and to do it in a way that's safe and effective and, and healthy. Okay. Okay, so what's the process here with the love maps? How does it actually do, – do people record things? Do they put things down on paper or on a computer or whatever? 
Yeah, well, I guess on one level, these things develop really naturally, right? They just develop uh, as soon as we begin a relationship with someone that uh, we start to get an impression about what they like and what they don't like. And we base that on their on their body language and how they respond to us when we relate to them in different ways. Um, and as those love maps get better, we get better at expressing our needs uh, in a way that they can, that the other person can hear and understand. And it also helps us to meet the other person's expectations in a way that doesn't erode trust. I guess, you know, trust in most relationships um, is eroded when we have a set of expectations of someone uh, and a set of hopes or ways that we think that they'll relate to us. But then um, when that person doesn't fulfill those expectations, we feel hurt and, uh, and trust is eroded. And so these love maps help us to protect trust in the relationship and help us to express our needs in a way that uh, other people can hear. And so right. even though it happens naturally, couples can yep. also become more intentional about how they do it as well, right? They can actually uh, put in place strategies that are going to help them to, to do this more effectively. Um, look, I'll give you an example of that. Um, years ago, Karen and I had a, a funny conversation and it was about um, grace before meals. So in our family, we, um, we we typically say grace before meals. And one of the things that would sometimes happen that used to really bug me a lot was that, you know, I'd get home from work. Often sometimes it'd be a bit late if I had clients in the evening and, uh, and it'd be right at dinner time and Karen would be serving dinner out and putting it out on the table and I'd walk in the door and we'd all be getting ready to start dinner. And if I was sort of still serving out my meal or if I sort of got up to get the pepper or the salt or something, Karen would start grace with the kids just before yeah. I'd sort of sat down. And, and it used to just bug me. You know, I just sort of thought, you know, can't just wait <laughs> 10 seconds <laughs> until I sit down and then we can say grace together as a family. Yes, yeah. And, uh, and I didn't say anything for a long time. I just sort of let it annoy me. But uh, one particular afternoon I sort of sat down and I said, you know what, I just thought, I should talk about this. It does bother me and I should talk about this. And so I said yeah. to Karen, you know, look, when you start grace before I sit down, it sort of is a bit annoying. And and Karen's response to that was, well, you know, if you came home a bit earlier, like, you know, that would probably be easier to do, right? Except that when yeah. you get home, I've got a toddler who is hungry as, who can't wait another 10 seconds. The food's right there in front of them and they want to eat. And uh, and so it's uh, that 10 seconds is actually a big demand for the two-year-old. Yes. And, uh, and I could I could hear what she was saying, and uh, but we sort of persevered with the conversation. And one of the things that I realised in that, and I, and I came to realise actually why it bugged me so much. And the reason why it bugged me so much was that in our family, growing up, my family as a child, we had sort of set places at the dinner table, right? So every time we sat down for dinner as a family, we had sort of set places to sit. And my place was closest to the pantry in our home. Right. And so when, as a family, we sat down for dinner, if there was something missing off the table, so the bread or the butter or the pepper or the salt, you know, my dad would typically say, Derek, could you grab the, the pepper or could you grab the salt or whatever it might be? Yes. And almost always... As soon as I got up to go and grab it, they would all start grace. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember at about year nine, you know, so about 14 or 15 years of old, I have a distinct memory of thinking one day when I have a family, I am never going to do this to my kids. Right, sure. It really annoys me. It's like I'm not even a part of the family. They can all kind of get going with grace and, you know, don't worry about Derek. He's sort of serving yeah. us. Yeah. And I remember thinking I'm never going to do that to my family. And yet here I was 
in my own family and it was still happening to me. And, yes. and so that's really where that frustration sort of originated. Right. But once I actually had a way of expressing that to Karen, it really changed our way of relating as a couple around this issue because Karen could see, you know, for me, I could hear Karen and understand, okay, it's really tough for you when the toddler is really hungry and, and is wanting food. And Karen could understand for me that this is actually, you know, it's linked to actually something bigger, a bigger experience for me. And we're better able to be sensitive to one another's needs that for me to know that when I get home late, it is really tough for Karen. And, you know, she's been having a hungry toddler for the last half hour who wants to eat. And, and for Karen to know sometimes when we start grace early, that it, it's not just an annoyance. It actually, there's a kind of a, there's a hurt that goes with that as well. Yeah. So what, what these love maps do when couples can learn how to talk, um, you know, more deeply about their internal world and what's happening for them is it helps them to be more sensitive. It actually sort of, um, yeah, helps them to grow closer to one another. Sure, which in turn obviously uh, leads to better intimacy, uh, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they come to really appreciate in a deep way um, each other's needs. And I suppose intimacy is, is um, you know, what makes intimacy intimacy is our level of vulnerability. You know, when we're emotionally intimate, you know, we reveal our deepest emotions to someone uh, that we care about and we risk ridicule, we risk rejection, you know, but in the interest of building greater trust and understanding. Um, so love maps are, are something really important and uh, being intentional about how we build our love maps can really help. Yes, absolutely. Do you believe couples generally would benefit from uh, uh, love maps? Uh, absolutely, definitely. And there's lots of actually practical things that they can do to um, to grow their love map. It's actually very, very important because we can't be inside of the mind of the person that we love. Um, we can only guess at what's in their mind. And the more we work at developing a comprehensive map and understanding a love map of, uh, of their internal world, the better we can respond to their needs and the better we can help them to respond to to our own needs as well. Um, Gottman, actually, if they, you know, if couples are interested, the Gottman Institute, so John Gottman, who coined the, uh, the concept of love maps, actually produces uh, an app on, uh, okay. on smartphones. It's called the Gottman Card Deck, and, uh, and it's free. They can just download it. And, uh, and one of the options on there is love maps, and it, and it just has a whole heap of different questions for couples to discuss. All yes. sorts of questions, you know, questions like, what was the best present you ever received? And who were your closest friends growing up? And What's your favourite kind of music and those sorts of things? And uh, and I often give couples for counselling that kind of homework to work on. Go away and I'll give them a list of topics, things to discuss and talk about. And the idea is to talk about them with a view to learning something new, not to try to get the answers right, but actually to learn something about my partner that I actually never knew before. So, yeah. um, so an example would be, say, one of the questions is, uh, what was the best present you ever received? And you might know what the best present you know, your partner ever received was. So in which case you might want to ask them, what was the worst present you ever received? Or what was the most interesting present you ever received? Or was there ever a time where everyone forgot your birthday and no one gave you a present? And what was that like? How did you cope with that? Yeah. You know, couples need to be curious about all sorts of different aspects about their partner's life in order to grow their love map. Yeah, I imagine if that curiosity stops, then the, the relationship certainly needs some work. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I kind of think, you know, there's always something new to learn about the people that we're in relationships with because they're, they're growing and they're constantly yeah. growing and changing and becoming new all the time. And there's always something new to discover in that. Yeah. How, how important, Derek, is it for couples to have shared, you know, similar, similar values? 
Look, I think having shared values can really help, and, and particularly at the, the start of a relationship. Uh, it can help with sort of integrating the relationship and to at least us feeling like we're on the same page about things. Uh, but it's really important to keep in mind that our ideas and our views and our values around things are constantly changing and growing and maturing and developing. And so um, as we've talked over past sessions, you know, communication is really key in all of that, that uh, as we grow and mature, if we keep communication open and we keep talking about the things and the experiences that we're having, uh, it helps us to converge in our values. It help us to, helps us to grow closer to one another and develop a common understanding about what's really important for us. But I think one of the other things that's really helpful for love maps is to, you know, when we recognize that our partner has a value, to be really curious about where that value comes from. You know, I kind of think it's really interesting that we use the word value. I mean, the value of something is its cost, right, is how much it costs for us to, to have something. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, values that we hold really deeply typically for most people came at a cost. You know, that if we really okay. value honesty, we experienced dishonesty. You know, if we really yes. value loyalty, we experienced, you know, times in our life where people weren't loyal to us. Um, you know, if we really experience uh, value being close to others, it probably comes out of an experience of having felt lonely. And so uh, I think one of the great things for couples to help build their love maps is when they realize that their partner has a strong value in a particular area, ask them where that came from. So, you yeah. know, like I, I really noticed that your family is so important to you. How did you come to value family so much? You know, I, I, value, I see that working hard and a good work ethic is really important to you. How did you come to value that? Often there's something really beautiful to learn about the challenges that they've experienced throughout their life and how they came to value the things that are really important to them. So yeah. uh, having common values helps and being curious about one another's values definitely helps with forming love maps. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you could have a father or a grandfather, you talk about work ethic, who may have had a, a wonderful work ethic and it, it does pass on, whether it's passed on in the genes or through uh, learned experience, I don't know necessarily, but um, th that makes a lot of sense. Mm, 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 definitely. Uh, certainly an example would be for me, one of the things that, um, uh, you know, a value that's very strong in me that was sort of passed on by my father was the importance of speaking up for those who don't have a voice. You know, that some yes. people are vulnerable and that we need to stand up for those people and to have a voice for them. And, uh, and years ago, I really found myself thinking, this is a really important value that my father passed on to, to his children. Yes. And I found myself wondering, where does that come from? How did he come to value that? And he came yes. to value it from having a really difficult relationship with his own father. Who, um, who would, you know, would drink sometimes and, uh, and found it very difficult to relate to. And he realized as a young boy that, uh, that there was something wrong there, that a dad's job is to stand up for his children, you know, and, uh, um, and to advocate for them. And, uh, and so he realized for himself that he didn't ever want to be that kind of a father in relationship to his children. So he paid the price. He paid a cost, you know, to come to value that, which then he sure. passed on to us. Um, so, yeah. uh, you know, exploring our values and our values in relationship um, with people that we love and care about is uh, a really great way to grow closer and to understand them better and to know how to better to love them and support them and respond to their needs. Right. Love maps, uh, should couples revisit it every so often? I mean, they might begin with it uh, perhaps five years later, 10 years later, or is it a continuous thing? 
Look, I, I think it's it should be bo- and yes and both. Yes, <laughs> I and guess both. is the answer okay. to that question. I think yes. it's something that they should typically be curious about all the time. Uh, but certainly, I, I, you know, I really encourage couples. You know, in every area of our life. Um, maintenance is important. If you have a home, it needs to be maintained. If you have a car, it needs to be maintained. If you have a career, it needs to be maintained, you know, uh, through professional development. And relationships are no different. You know, if you really value your relationship, then you want to do things that constantly sort of update and uh, and check in and, and grow your marriage or your relationship. And, and there are some really fantastic, you know, we live in a generation unlike any previous generation. There are programs like Marriage Encounter and Smart Loving and Ministry to the newly married and other programs that are all designed to help couples just to take stock, check in, how are we going, how are we traveling, what do I need to learn that's new about you and what do you need to learn about me? Uh, And at the same time, we have to be curious on an ongoing basis. You know, one of the things that is uh, a question that Karen and I have become really good at asking one another um, in our relationship, when we realize that something sort of is not right, is to simply say, what's what's going on for you right now? You know, we ask Mm -hmm. it in a gentle, loving way. You know, I can see things aren't quite right. You know, what's happening for you? What's going on for you? And uh, and to be genuinely open and curious, you know, it helps us to better understand each other's internal world. Yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's a nice suggestion, actually. That's something perhaps couples should do very regularly, but mm. perhaps many don't. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you a, a tip uh, that, uh, that a couple shared with me. One of the habits I'm, I have is whenever I meet couples who have really great marriages, you know, just beautiful relationships, I always ask them, what the, what's the secret? You know, you guys have an amazing marriage. What's the secret to a good marriage? And, and I always encourage couples to do that. You'll come across all sorts of random advice that that is profoundly wise. And uh, and yeah. these days, I don't usually hear a lot that I haven't already come across in research or, or other contexts. But I did last year ask a couple who'd been married for 30 years, I asked the, the wife, you know, what's, what's the secret to a happy marriage? And she made one suggestion I've never come across anywhere before, and I thought it was gold. She said, in about the fifth year of their marriage, they started having the weekly interview. And, mm. uh, and the weekly interview for them happens every Sunday night, and they sit down on a Sunday evening after everything's sort of finished and the kids have gone to bed. And they, there are two questions, and it's the same two questions week after week. And the first question is, when did you feel most loved by me this week? You know, of mm. all the different things that happened, tell me one time when I got it at least kind of right, you know, yeah. um, so yeah. that I kind of know how to do more of that. And what's one thing I could do this week to love you more? You know, and she said, it's a very specific question. She said that one. It's not like, oh, you could be more patient. It was more like, on Thursday, I've got a meeting. I'm really stressed about it. Just be patient with me Thursday morning. Yeah. But I thought, isn't that uh, isn't that a profoundly beautiful question? You know, companies yes. spend billions of dollars on marketing research every single year, and we don't do it in our own relationships. We don't ever sort of think to ask, mm. tell me how I'm getting it right. <laughs> you know, my family yeah. is my number one customer. Give me some feedback about what I'm doing right and what I can do better for you. Um, yeah. Help me, Let me into your world about the times when I do things kind of right what happens inside of your mind. So I can do more of that because I care about you. Yes. Some of the most simple things are the most effective, but we don't always think that way, do we? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. Yeah. Mm. Now, love maps for couples. Uh, you've explained that really well. Generally for a family, um, love maps still work in a similar way, sense. You know, couples who've got children, I imagine when you've got children, as you would know, it gets a bit more complex. So love maps mm. will perhaps play, play an even more important role in some respects. 
Oh, I think it's really important to to develop um, you know strong love maps with our children, and uh, and there's uh, I guess a couple of ways that you know that certainly that Karen and I've discovered over the years that worked really well. And the first was uh, a tip that uh, a uh, my sister in law, her father, actually shared with me, and I thought that's fantastic. I'm definitely we're going to plug that into our family life, and uh, and certainly it's helped. And and for us, one of the things that we just do every single day when we sit down for dinner as a family. Uh, the first question that I ask, and that, that as a family, that's over most of the eight, last 18 years, we've just got in the habit of discussing, is just going around, just really briefly around our dinner table and just sharing what was the best part of your day? You know, just what was the, what was the best thing that happened to you today? You know, I guess when little children are, are small, the best part of their day is... I don't know, they, they built the biggest Lego tower. You know, it doesn't sound very sort of exciting or, yeah. uh, or special. But, you know, by the time a child reaches 14, 15, 16 years of age, you know, I, as a parent, I really want to know what are the things that bring my child life? What are the things that bring them happiness and fulfillment? What are the things that they're, they're thinking about and, that, and are the places of joy? And it's really hard to start that conversation with them at that age. You know, that you need yeah. to sort of start that conversation way back when they're two and they're three and they're four and five years old. So it becomes a normal part of, uh, of our life to sort of to engage in the things that bring one another joy and to, to celebrate those things together. And a meal is a great place to, to do that, to celebrate each other's joys and successes through the day. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we started doing with our kids around about the age of 11 for our kids, we started having the, a, a sort of a weekly catch up with each of our children. It's got a little bit more challenging and it's changed as our family sort of grown and expanded. But uh, at yeah. about the age of 11, we sort of sit down with each of our kids and we just sort of explain that, look, for the last 10 years, you've been a, a child. And in the next 10 years, you're going to go from being a child to being an adult. And there's lots of really mm -hmm. important things that uh, that you need to know about how to be an adult. And uh, and so the and so we have a weekly catch-up. It's only about half an hour um, once a week with each of our kids. and. In that half an hour, at the very beginning when they're just 11, 12, a lot of those conversations are about, you know, puberty, about uh, changes and relationships and, uh, and things that they sort of need to know. Um, and uh, But gradually that changes to being less things that mum and dad want to talk about and more things that they want to talk about. But mm. we've established a pattern early on that uh, if there are things that you're struggling with and you want to talk to mum and dad about them and grow in understanding, well, this is a good time. This is your half hour and no one's going to interrupt and uh, and we really want to know what's happening in your world. We want to know what the things are that you're struggling with and we want to help you, know, you to work out how to be an adult and how to navigate challenging relationships. So it's really important, I think, in, in understanding our children's love maps, what's happening in their minds to to set a foundation for that and and wherever possible, as early as possible, um, so that it becomes a pattern that we can talk about things that are important and I, I can't read their mind. I don't know what happens inside of their little brains. Um, no. but, uh, but the more I lean into asking and being genuinely curious, the more they're willing to open up and help me to, to understand what might be important to them and how best to love them. Yeah. No, that's a wonderful idea. And you're spending valuable time too, one-on-one -on -one time with your, with your child. Or in your oh, case, your <laughs> You know, and it's amazing. I've got to say, um, David, that there are some times where our kids come to me with a conversation or Karen and I, and I think I could never imagine having this conversation with my mother or father, you know, no. that, that actually I'm learning something new just as much as they're learning something new, which is how to have this kind of conversation. And, 
And I think the reason that they they feel comfortable to be able to do that is because we've really worked hard at just laying that foundation of trust. You know, it's uh, it's not um, it's not enough just to wait till the urgent situation to try and have that conversation. We just have to create that framework as we go, week in and week out, uh, that enables that space to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Derek, if after 10 years a spouse or partner doesn't know what their other half's favourite movie or food is, would you suggest they discover love maps? Oh, absolutely. I think they will probably discover a whole new world of their relationship that they never knew existed. It's uh, it's always interesting to me when couples say, oh, well, you know, we've just sort of fallen out of love or, um, you know, we just sort of don't connect with one another. Actually, couples can regain that experience. Mm. Uh, of falling in love. You know, emotions are kind of fickle, you know, and it's not like they love their spouse their whole lives. When they were two, three, four, five, they didn't even know that person, you know, that, uh, yeah. that that love grew out of an experience and a way of relating to one another and couples can always rediscover that in their relationship. And we know a lot about how to help couples to do that as well. But certainly starting with love maps, asking lots of lots of really interesting questions about what was the favorite memory what was the best thing i ever did for you what was the favorite anniversary that we ever celebrated uh what's your favorite movie these days you know what kind of genre do you like what's your favorite color these things change all the time you know i yes, remember when karen sure. and i first got married karen's favorite favorite color was undeniably burgundy everything was burgundy oh. our bath mats were burgundy our towels were burgundy <laughs> <laughs> but i can tell you right now if i kind of went oh, i'll just do something special for karen and i went out and bought a new set of towels and bath mat that was burgundy karen would be like yeah you kind of know that dark blue is my favorite color right now right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what, what do you think so uh, so we can't just assume that we always know because we worked it out once before like you know we need to constantly be growing those things and uh, and it is i think it's exciting to discover new things uh, about our partner and have them and to have them discover and value new things about ourselves as well sure yeah no exactly i didn't know your favorite color could change over time mine, mine has always been blue and it has been since i can remember but there you go yeah, yes. I, certainly, I think I started out with green, but I'm kind of more blue now. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Derek, how do family holiday adventures fit into the concept of love maps? Yeah, holidays are actually one of the most important things that families can do. And, and by holidays, I don't mean just taking time off work at home. I mean actually going on an adventure, taking a holiday, going somewhere different. It's kind of a little bit difficult for many families at the moment because of uh, COVID-19. But yes. certainly it's something for them to prioritise and to, to try and find ways of, uh, of having family adventures. And that doesn't necessarily mean going on a holiday, going away, but trying new things, having new experiences. Um, you know, when... When people, families go on holiday, three really important things take place. The first is that they increase their learning curve. Um, you know, most families typically have their biggest arguments when they're on holiday or planning to go on holiday and uh, packing to get out of the house. But they also have their deepest moments of connection as well when they're on holiday. You know, they suddenly mm. find themselves in a new environment relating to new people in new situations and they learn a lot more about one another than they do on a typical Wednesday night sitting in their living room watching what they normally do. So there's a learning curve that helps them to grow in their understanding of one another and grow their love map about who this really person really is and how they deal with different situations. The second thing is that they create memories, you know, uh, and even, yeah. even the terrible holidays actually in time often become good memories. I think 
uh, I think of one uh, year, Karen and I went down south and uh, and the car broke down and it was just before we had to take a trip and we were stuck down there for three days to literally the day we had to fly out the next day. And and uh, and at the time, it was uh, it was stressful. But I look back and I kind of go, ah, oh, it was one of the best three days of my life. Just us. We couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. It was just us. And so we <laughs> enjoyed yeah. the time that we had together. Um, and, uh, and I guess the third thing is that, you know, um, one of the things I mentioned, Daniel Segal earlier, and uh, the researcher, he's a Canadian researcher, and he often says that, you know, that uh, brain cells that, that fire together wire together, that we certain right. develop certain patterns of behavior that are tied to experiences. So, you know, if we get into a certain pattern about talking about our finances in our living room, well, every time we talk about it in our living room, we tend to fall into the same way of talking to one another. That sometimes, actually, when families are on holiday or they're out having an adventure, they discover that they can actually talk about an old issue, but talk about it in a new way. That there's no mm. prescribed way of talking about this issue when we're sitting beside the pool or we're walking through the bush or we could have this conversation in a new, different kind of a way. And because they're wanting to have a good time, they get a bit more solution-focused rather than problem-focused, rather than get bogged down and who started what and if you hadn't done this, if we didn't make that bad decision, they kind of get a bit more focused on, you know what, as soon as we solve this, we can get on with having a, a good holiday. And, uh, yeah. and so they do get a bit more solution-focused and it creates a new freedom to be able to talk about sometimes some old, difficult, tricky issues in a new way. So holidays are oh, can't underestimate how important they are for families. Yeah. Just take a break yeah. from the daily grind and to do something that's fulfilling. So one of the things Karen and I do is we try to, at least every three weeks, try to schedule into our uh, our family life at least one thing that we're going to do as a whole family that serves no other purpose than to bring us joy. Okay. Just something that is fun, you know, whether that's a, a movie night and we're just going to order pizza and sit on the floor and watch a movie together as a family or whether we're going to go out for a picnic at a park. You know, one year we went on a um, – on a park crawl. And so we just picked a whole heap of parks with all different climbing equipment and flying foxes and all sorts of things. And we just basically went from park to park. Yeah. You know, we played for about 15, 20 minutes till we got bored and off we went to the next Good park. And, uh, and it was just fun and it was joy-filled. And, uh, and I really encourage couples and families to just prioritise fun. You know, it's really important. Yeah, it's a little bit different to your average pub crawl by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very much. So I did say to Karen, you know, this kind of be a bit nicer if we had a bottle of wine to take with us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Take it on the flying fox. It'd be mm. great fun. <laughs> uh, we're almost out of time with this session. Perhaps just if you want to reiterate a couple of main points uh, about love maps that you think uh, people would be interested to hear again. Yeah, I think love maps are, as I said, they're the way that we uh, develop an understanding of what it's like to be inside the minds of the people that we care about. And uh, and if we can do that and grow our understanding, be curious about how um, people in our family feel and how they think and about their experiences, you know, in life. Then it really helps us to be more responsive to their to the needs of our family members. And it helps us to better understand and appreciate the members of our family when we can really get into a deeper understanding of where they're coming from. And they're very easy to develop. You know, we just have to be curious and ask curious questions and to work on the relationship. Um, and, and as we do that, you know, almost all families discover new levels of intimacy. 
uh, which is uh, which is always a bring comes with it a sense of connection, a sense of belonging, and a sense of safety, which is really important for healthy families. Okay, uh, Derek, thank you very much. Our next session uh, or chat: problem solving and relationship repair. That 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 sounds interesting too. Oh, absolutely. I think it's inevitable for every family that they're going to have times where they have challenges that, that they face and uh, when things, despite their best efforts, all sort of blow out. And uh, and what do we do in those situations? How do we repair those situations is, uh, is a key skill to develop for every family. Can't wait. Derek, thanks again. You're very welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you.